speed much. James chapter 1. We're going to read the first four verses. We will read them responsively. I will read the first verse. I'll ask you to join me on the second. Then I will the third and we'll conclude on the fourth together. All right? You find that there? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And uh, what a powerful passage. We'll be coming back to it. I will speak to you this evening on the subject of don't end the trial too soon. Don't end the trial too soon. Let's pray together and we'll begin. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this truth. I've been excited about teaching it tonight. Help us to learn it well, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. I'm not going to use a lot of dynamic in the message this evening to keep your attention. So I would ask you to choose to be mindful of the Word of God and let it help you tonight. For some, it may be a thing that is right now very presently helpful. Some of you, you'll look back and take instruction from it over things you've been through and say, that's right, and I can apply that. For others of you, tuck it away in your heart and mind and it'll be useful to you in some days to come. Again, we look at the passage there and we find that the Bible starts out by talking to these folks in the book of James and verse 2 has an unusual statement. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And then it gives a reason for this unusual sounding statement. It says, knowing this, here's why you can do that, that the trying of your faith, your individual faith, worketh patience. But that's not the end of it. Then it says, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire. Look at the last two words there in that verse. Wanting nothing. The idea of wanting nothing means you're not lacking. The Bible talks about being in want of something. In other words, you don't have that which you needed. And here the Bible's teaching how as believers we can be complete and be being completed in Christ. And so I uh, speak to you on the subject of don't end the trial too soon. Um, let me give you what I've written down about this. Uh, there are elements that are needful if we're to become perfect and wanting nothing. It doesn't happen by accident. Not in anybody's life. This perfection and wanting nothing is us being complete in Christ. Having all the characteristics He desires for us and having them in proper proportion. Some of the needful elements to make us perfect and wanting nothing cannot be gotten by any other way than trials. Think on that a moment. Some of the elements we need for this perfecting cannot be gotten any other way than trials. Here's a defining statement for you. A trial is a time of stress or testing that comes because of events outside of our control. I'll illustrate for you. If someone were to break their leg 
as a result of simply walking about their house doing their daily chores, that accident could rightly be called a trial. If a person was a conscientious and faithful worker whose company downsizes or goes out of business, that loss of finances could accurately be called a trial. However, if a person broke their leg because they had an accident while driving under the influence of alcohol or some other drug, then that person would be hurting, they would be damaged, but they could not claim their broken leg as a trial in the biblical sense of this passage, which speaks about trials or temptations. To claim it as a trial brought on by God is absolute nonsense in that setting. If a person was continually late to work, took too long on their breaks, and had to be reprimanded for their boss for not working diligently, they could not call the loss of their job a trial or a temptation in the biblical sense. Right for me, I'm having a trial. I got fired. Why'd you get fired? I was late eight days in a row. I will pray for you in a manner as a brother, but not for a biblical trial because you don't have one. You have a slothful trial. No, the loss of their job was their fault. No one else's. I'm not saying you can't realize that and get God's help. I'm just saying you can't call that a trial and apply James 1 to it. Today we're going to look at the times when the Scripture says, look at the phrase that's used, we fall into diverse temptations. Maybe that's how we broke the leg. <laughs> but it's an unusual term to use in the Bible. Falling into something. So it indicates that this was not because of malfeasance or a, you know, improper use of the person. This is just something came in out of control, out of our control, uh, that we had no way of knowing it was coming. <laughs> um, the main thrust of the message is not speculation on why certain trials may come, nor is it a step-by-step -step manual for knowing what to do during those trials. Rather, it is, as the title says, a plea to not stop the trial too soon. Often, during a trial, there will appear an easy way out. Far too often, this way will involve disobeying the Scripture in order to fix the situation. Example, a person gets into a financial bind and they have a trial, not of their own doing there, and they fix the problem by stopping their tithing and stopping their giving. They have sought an easy way to fix what they perceive to be the problem, and therefore they have stopped the trial before the perfecting work can come. Let me insert here a simple yet profound truth. One of the main reasons for a trial is to see if we will do what is right during the trial. The purpose of a trial is not necessarily to see how God will fix it. The purpose of a trial is to see what we will do during that trial. You say, how do you do what's right? Well, having your faith, that is what you actually believe, exercised. In other words, you and I say we believe certain things. A biblical trial comes into our lives that puts it where all of a sudden it's in reality laying for us. Do I actually believe what I said about that? 
That's when the trying of our faith is coming into play. And the trying of our faith, if we will have patience and follow God during that time, will bring about the perfecting that God wants to do in our life, the maturing of us. Our main text is James 1 verse 4. We've read that together. But let patience have her perfect work. Notice the language of it. Trying of your faith worketh patience. Okay, here's what it does. Trying of your faith, God's purpose is to work patience. But you've got a choice in it. Let patience have her perfect work. You and I have to decide to do that. But let patience have her perfect work. For what purpose? To what end? That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God says, I'm going to get you to the point where you're not lacking. And the way to get to the point where you're not lacking is you're going to have to let this work in your life. You have to go through these steps. We are called disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, in, that, that involves some discipline and some, some following. As a result of enduring the temptation, we end up where we're not lacking anything. Look at some verses with me here, uh, uh, if you will. Look in Job chapter 23. Back in the book of Job. Turn there, if you will, please, in your Bible. Let's get it in your eye gates and your ear gates at the same time. Back for the book of Psalms. Job chapter 23. Yes, that's where I want to go. What's God doing during trial? Job learned it. Verse 10, he summarizes what it was like to be seeking for God during a time of extreme distress when I'm sure his emotions were all over the board so he wasn't feeling all good about things. But here's the calm assurance that came finally. He says in verse 10 regarding God, Job says, but he knoweth the way that I take. Now there's something about that, isn't there? When he hath tried me. In other words, when God in his timing sees fit to bring this to the, the conclusion. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He had come to realize and recognize the refiner's hand in the process he was going through. And he acknowledged it and accepted it as such. Look in Psalm 119. We're going to actually go to Psalm 119 and then back a little bit, but look in Psalm 119. And let's look at verse 67. Now I'm talking to you tonight about not ending the trial too soon. I'm talking to you about what you and I have to do individually in our life as our Heavenly Father who knows us individually deals with us in a way to bring us to maturity. He desires to grow us for His glory and our own good. And He knows what each of us need. He knows what you need taken out of your life. He knows what you need put into your life. And He seeks to accomplish that through His, his steps and the way He deals with us. Yesterday, we took uh, most of the day off. I worked yesterday evening, but it, uh, we went with our part of our family. Didn't get to go with these two kiddos, but we, Logan and Bethany and the grandkids and the Old and Tangy Caverns. Had not been there since Logan was nine or ten years old, something like that. And so it had been a couple couple while back. And it used to be kind of, the cavern was pretty neat, but the place was kind of janky. It was, uh, uh, anyway, it is super neat now. I mean, they have more stuff. If you got kids and you want to have a good time, 
Uh, I'm telling you, it's amazing there. But we went, we had all kinds of fun. We went there and went to the petting zoo and had to, and actually got to be in some monks and deer, petting them and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, putt-putt golf and went down in the cavern and went in this maze thing uh, that they have, finding treasure, just a lot of fun. And uh, well, we're panning for gold, and they had the dirt where you put it in the sluice of water and all that stuff. Anyway, um, uh, we, we were having we were having a good time with that. And during that, uh, Logan and I were standing by each other, and I pointed to one of the boys, and I made an observation about his nature. I said, Bubba, I said, you got a you got a young in there." I said, "Do you see this in them?" And and uh, it said, uh, he said, "I really do." I said, "That's I said, pay good attention to that." I said, "That's important." And uh, and we talked a minute about it. What I was encouraging him in as a father, I think he had already seen it, and I've seen his interaction with it. But I was saying, they look at the, look at those uh, boys. They're very different in their personality. Look at them and and uh, and look and see who they are. And uh, boy, this one you you gonna have to deal with this a little differently than that one. And you know, God will give you wisdom on it. You know, our heavenly Father never misses it. Now I tell you, as a daddy, you miss it sometimes. You just flat miss it. Uh, but our Heavenly Father doesn't. So He brings these things into our life that we need. Uh, Psalm 119, and look if you will please in verse, verse 67. I want you to just think about these words. The psalmist said, before I was afflicted. doesn't tell us what the affliction was. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. That was a, that's what He did. But now have I kept Thy Word. So whatever the affliction may have been in His life, it worked to the good of him keeping God's word and brought him into a closer fellowship. Verse 71 echoes that theme. He, he goes further with the statement and says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And uh, he may not have felt that way during the time of the affliction, but he certainly saw the benefit later. Turn back in Psalms to the 73rd Psalm. 73rd Psalm is very instructive. If you want some instructive reading later, make a note to yourself. Please don't go into a reading binge on it while I'm preaching to you. You need to get the benefit of what I'm saying and then read that later. But Psalm 73, you have the record of a believer who got jealous toward the unsaved. He started asking the question, why is it I'm trying to serve God and I've got troubled by the bucket load. That's in the Hebrew, if you could translate it. Uh, he more or less says that through there. And he says, but I know some of these folks out here don't care anything about God, live just as dirty and bad, and man, it seems like everything they do is great. And it really bothered him. In fact, he said he was so foolish during that time, is the way he described himself. He said, my feet had well nigh slipped. He said, I almost lost my, my standing. And then he said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and thank God he went to church, and he, he learned some things. And then he comes down at the end, and he starts talking about how grateful he is to have God. How foolish it would be to have all the things of this world, but not have God, and how temporary that would be. And he started seeing things from an eternal perspective. Now I'm talking about this thing about what God does with this temptation and not ending the trial too soon. And he summarizes in verse 8, 28. He says, For it is good for me to draw near to God. 
I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. That wasn't a light or an easy statement for him. He had been through some real soul turmoil saying, I don't understand why the world works like it does. I don't understand why this one really a decent person really trying to do something. It seemed like every step they took, they got hammered on. This one over here is getting, seems like they're getting away with everything. But once he got a biblical perspective of what was actually going on, and he stepped back and he said this, he said, God, you've been good to me by letting me go through what I've gone through. It's taught me some things. And so, uh, what is this? Don't end the trial too soon. Um, Spurgeon said, Know you not that many of the promises are written with invisible ink and must be held to the fire of affliction before the letters will show themselves? you've ever messed with the invisible ink, you put it up to heat and then you can see the message. And that's a great picture of what the Lord does in our life. If we don't bail out on God, we will see patience have her perfect work. Look in Romans chapter 5. But remember, Romans 5, but remember, it'll be a temptation to bail out through disobedience. To sidestep exactly what you need to go through in order to grow. And enter into that continual, continual loop of facing the same lessons over and over again. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not something we have to attain to. That's something we have in Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God, look how it's phrased, is shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God's shed abroad in our hearts. It illuminates us. It warms us. It comforts us. For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And it goes on down with many great things. It talks about God's love for us even in our, our lost condition. But we see here, tribulation works patience. Patience experience and experience hope. What happens? The love of God shed abroad in our heart if we don't end the trial too soon. If you take the easy way of disobedience out in order to avoid the trial... Patience will not have her perfect work and you will be left wanting or lacking what God would have for you. That is, you will lack what you need to be perfected in Christ. Now note something in what we just read. Experience follows patience. Then that experience causes us to hope. I'll give you a couple illustrations. A couple gets married. They go on their honeymoon. And that's the way it ought to be. That would be a courtship where you keep decent and clean and don't treat each other like you're married when you're not. Get married. 
There ought to be a honeymoon. I don't care if you can't afford anything more than a rowboat on Lake Logan. Somewhere where you go go off and have that that uh, honeymoon salad that everybody should have. You know what that is? Let us alone, amen. <laughs> Just let us alone. And uh, you, you go off, and uh, that ought to be a sweet time. It not it ought not be people who've already been acting like they're married. Just another event in their life. This ought to be a sweet time. God wants you to stay pure and go to the marriage altar as a clean virgin person. That's God's will for all of it. So I've known a lot of people who claim the name of Christian who've gone into fornication. It's a wicked generation, but you ought to decide to do what's right. It's not an old-fashioned idea. It's God's design. And one time in Israel's history, God killed 23,000 people in one day over fornication. He takes it very seriously. And we need to take it seriously also. And the way you stay out of it is you stay out of the situations that lead to it. Amen. Hey, if you don't want a gas can to blow up, don't throw a match in it. I have sense enough to have sense. And so, what happens? They get married. They go on a honeymoon. And uh, they, they are out there. Everything's blissful. They think this is the way it will always be. But wait, by and by, a disagreement comes. They find out that the person they married was truly a person after all. I hear the chuckle of knowledge out there. He or she has their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own idiosyncrasies, their own weaknesses, and their own preferences. So the disagreement comes and they each think, oh my goodness, we're arguing. The honeymoon must be over. We do not have a good marriage. Be patient. Keep doing the right thing. And this storm will pass. Then in time you will find out that a good marriage is not based on an absence of disagreement, but on the presence of a commitment to truth and to love one another. Illustration. A couple has a new baby. By the way, three most dangerous times for people getting out of church. When they're getting ready to get married, you don't have to skip church to prepare a wedding. When they get married, second time is when they have a baby. You don't need to lay out of church for eight weeks after you had a baby. That's nonsense. Introduce them to germs early. They'll be healthier. I'm serious about that. I'm a saying in the world. But the, uh, uh, the, uh, don't, don't need to do that. And, uh, and by the way, they'll quit crying at some point. I know it's, it's mama that has the worst time leaving them at the nursery. They'll be all right. And, and we've never lost one in the nursery yet, even though we've had some requests by patient, parents to do. Um, third time is when someone's building a house or buying one. Absolutely. I've been pastoring a long time. Three times. You can get, you can get your transactions and stuff done. You don't have to miss it. By the way, we've done all those things. So well, you're the preacher. Well, I, I wasn't a preacher in, in uh, the uh, first, first two. When Logan came along, I was assistant pastor. I was assistant pastor. By the way, I didn't stay in church because I'm a preacher. I stayed in church because I was a Christian. I learned that early. I mean, that was from the beginning. And so be careful of these things. But anyway, uh, a couple has a new baby. Supposed to be one of the most joyous occasions in a couple's life. The miracle of birth, the sweetness of the child, the blending of two lives to produce another. But the crystalline dream of this ideal is shattered on the remorseless rocks of reality. At two in the morning, when the mother gets up to take care of the child and the father studiously acts as if he's still asleep. 
There's not enough sleep. Sometimes, unfortunately, there's unwanted influence from grandparents. She feels overwhelmed, and the two greatest treats to her mind would be sleep and or time alone with silence. He feels somewhat left out and finds that all the doting and attention that was his alone has now been stolen by a little food processor with a diaper. He's wanting to know if that was him. Um, But wait a minute. If that couple will keep doing the right thing, stay faithful in church, keep loving each other, the husband will have sense and be a husband and provide time for a wife to have devotions and some time to herself. Thank God often for your child. This will pass. And they'll see that you, like every other young couple that has traveled this road, will survive. See what happens Patience. You say, oh, those aren't times of real tribulation. <laughs> At two in the morning? Are you serious? Um, but it works patience if we don't end the trial too soon. Well, just, we must be over. We're just incompatible. But, yeah, you're male and female. We knew that. Now let's work on how God said how to do this. If we commit ourselves to actually living as Christians, then we don't have to do anything in our own power. Let those words sink in and give you comfort. If we commit ourselves to truly living as Christians, we don't have to do anything in our own power. That'll help you. Let me give you an illustration. Financial reversal comes. Loss of a job, injury, unexpected medical bills, whatever. You get panicked and say, what shall we do? Be careful, or you'll make some very bad choices that will permanently injure you or your family. Taking a cut in pay will not seriously or permanently harm you or your family. Choosing to become disobedient during this time will. After your children get up old enough to understand, and I speak, I know people every stage of life here, they will be watching what you do during crisis to see if mom and dad's God is real. Or is it just talk? What you have during the time of trial is you have an excellent opportunity to show those who look to you, whether it be children or someone else, that God's real. May God help us be faithful with that. Just decide now not to end the trial too soon. Just purpose in your heart to do the right thing, not to look for the easy way out. We don't want to short-circuit the process if our Heavenly Father is trying to teach us something. What happens during this process? Look in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. What happens during this process? Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And isn't it a wonderful thing that our salvation is based on His righteousness, which is what that teaches you there, not our own? 
Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, along it, beside it, giving all diligence, add to your faith. My brethren, the trying of your what? Work with patience? Faith, right? Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. And to temperance, what's that next word? Patience. Ties right back in with what we saw in James, doesn't it? And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In other words, he stopped the trial too soon. And instead of perfecting and growing, he's stunned. And so what happens is, the process tells us, in this list we just read, of what we were to add to our faith, we see the word temperance right before the word patience. Now we know that patience, uh, we know, excuse me, the main purpose of a trial is to see if you will do what is right during the trial. Follow that. We also know that patience wants to have her perfect work so that we may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In these verses in 2 Peter, we see that temperance is added to our faith just before patience. Since we see that the trying of our faith worketh patience, and that temperance is listed just before tem- uh, before or temperance is listed just before patience, it must be that the trying of our faith has something to do with temperance. What is temperance? I'm going to give you an illustration by something I was taught, and I I, I tried to study on, I read on, I asked questions from those who are knowledgeable about it. About what does it take to make tempered steel? How many of you have ever heard of tempered steel? Right? What it is, basically tempered steel has the capacity to be used in a lot of different ways because for all intents and purposes, the outside is harder than the inside. And so a tempered steel, and there's different temperances of it, but the tempered steel is able to have strength and withstand stress. There are many things you could not use iron for as a tool because it would shatter iron because it has strength. It's brittle. There are other metals and and applications of certain metals. You can't use them as a tool because they're just too soft. Whereas a tempered steel that's tempered correctly for its use has the combination of this this, uh, hardness and the durability and... It has the uh, malleability or, or, or the, uh, the uh, uh, if you will, it's, it's the word like we use the word supple, uh, supplication, but it has the ability to withstand stress without shattering. Let me give you this 
some things I learned about that I thought was pretty neat. Um, we want to get the we want to get it fixed in our, in our mind again. Let me let me read with you and let's read again James chapter one. Let's just read all four verses together again. Then I'm going to give you this final illustration on this. All right, let's begin in verse one of chapter one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me on it out loud. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now there's God's design. Keep that in mind. The Bible says temperance and then patience. Why? What's God got going here? He says, I want you to be able to get the lesson. Tempering steel. Here's what I learned about it. And I'm, I'm not a metallurgist, but I, I, it's interesting about it. Number one, steel must have a decent carbon content. It has to have the inherent quality that you need to work with. We just read in Peter that, uh, that he has given us, he's made us partakers of the divine nature through his promises. So as saved people, because we belong to Christ, because the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of us, we have the inherent quality where we can be worked with. So it's there. So you have to have the carbon content. Second is, steel is heated to a point of red heat. Actually, you go with different colors, but red heat, and then it's quenched. I mean, you know that word quench, you know that thing, right? Different steels harden in different mediums, different things you quench in them. Some, it's in oil. Some in salt water, some in regular water, and so forth. In other words, it's not all preceded the same way. You don't proceed the same way on each of it. Number three, you always start with the slowest medium for quenching. Because if you quench it too quickly, it's been heated up. Quenching it brings the temperature back down. If you speed that process up past where it should be, what happens is the steel gets brittle. Now think about that. I'm talking to you about not stopping the trial too soon. If you go to quench it too fast, it becomes brittle. That's what it does. When using what's called junkyard steel, you can figure out what the source of that is. It's absolutely essential because you don't know the carbon content of the steel to start with. Can I say to you that each of us, myself and you all included, we're not really real good jobs, uh, real good people to, 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 we don't do a good job of evaluating what our, our, our carbon content is. Our evaluation of what we might or might not be able to do may be skewed. We're just not the best ones to figure that out. God is. You say, well, how do you know how long the trial should last? By continued doing of right. And not trying to fix something by stepping out of following God. The moment you try to fix something by stepping out of following God or complete service to God, you have, you have circumvented the process God's trying to do. Number four, after you quench the steel, I thought this was interesting, you reheat it to a lower temperature and then quench it again. I think it's interesting. And it really matches our nature. You may and I may have to get a, you know, the courses we have to take in the, in the uh, school of trials in our Christian life may have a 101 and 102 to them. We're starting, I remember starting uh, college and he had English 101, English 102. Any of y'all been through that? 
And then they had English 100, which was actually not college level. And of course, they called it English 100. You're, you're saying it right over there. They're, they called it English 100. What all the students called it was bonehead English. Yeah. And uh, that's where you went. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I clepped out or, or, or I... I I came out of high school because of one of my high school, and there were some serious deficiencies in their teaching. I didn't know I didn't know the eight parts of speech and any of that. I mean, I'd write and read and do everything well like that. But I learned grammar later on. I'm continually learning it. But but it was funny. I went to college and I clipped out. In other words, I didn't have to take both beginning Englishes because I tested so high on my grammar scores and stuff. But I'd never been taught this stuff. You said, "How'd you do that?" I just test really well. And so I realized later I was not advantaged by that. But you said, you, in other words, you passed and didn't know it. Yeah, because most tests give away the answers if you can read your test and figure out what they're doing. Besides that, just sheer dumb luck and you know, a little jive get you a long way. But here's the problem. Later on, when all of a sudden I realized, hey, I made a discovery. I'm a preacher. That means I'm going to be working with language. Maybe I really should really learn how it works. And I started learning that, I realized I had disadvantaged myself by being able to jump past those things. I think I did. I know the one professor I would have had. And I still, I can't, I can't repent of it yet. That was just going to be bad. But anyway, um, but I had put myself at the disadvantage for things I needed later. In other words, I was missing things, so later on I would be learning. Mrs. Shelton has had, she's been my secretary for about 93 years, and she's, uh, uh, give or take a couple, but... But she knows, and, and I get now I get excited. Quite often now my letters, they come back proof with no marks on them. No marks on them. Hey. And hey, look, these people around here that proof my stuff, they don't care about my inner child. They use red ink on my stuff. I'm traumatized by it. How can I have self-esteem if I'm getting red ink on my stuff? But you go through and... Uh, She'd mark things and she could tell you, I would ask her, why is that like that? I wasn't combative saying, why'd you mark that off? Now, she thought, you know, and she's allowed to do this. She says, do you, is this as clear as you want or something like that? You know, I'll put up with so much of that. I don't like editorial stuff. As, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm giving the statement here. And I don't care if it doesn't sound right. But, they, uh, but I would ask questions. Why, why, why do we use a comma there? Do you use a comma in this case or not? Is that semicolon or is that a colon? You know, is, is, is this statement in opposition to the rest so it should be set off with commas at this point? What do you do at the end? Does the punctuation go inside, outside that quotation mark? Um, what do you do if you have a quotation mark within the quotation marks? And can't you just use brackets or parentheses wherever you want and fix the whole thing? <laughs> Can I do it in, in outline form like I do my preaching and there are no real rules with that. I'll just make it up good. Um, and so what happens... I'm finding out, I found out as I went along, I need to be able to construct and write things. Uh, there's been many times I've needed to interact with different people in this town of some authority about certain situations, and I need to be able to write a cogent, grammatically correct letter to somebody so that our church doesn't look, because of my representation, we don't look like a bunch of doofuses. Actually, they could say, hey, these people might actually know what they're doing. And then and, and I can properly represent the, the people of God and God's church on it. But here's my point. I blew past the test. But that didn't help me. I needed to learn what the lesson was. 
But I love this. Even when you do learn the lesson, our nature is such that God goes back and says, okay, that was trial 101. And you may even have passed 101. But he says, okay, now, hold on. I gave you everything you could handle on that first time around because my intention wasn't to break you. My intention wasn't to destroy you. My intention was to grow you. And you couldn't handle the whole truckload at once, so we're revisiting that general area. And now I have something further. We're going to build on what you learned the first time, I'm going to take you a step further. Why? Because our Heavenly Father, we've got to learn to trust Him. He's trying to perfect us. To be like Jesus Christ is. So we can be proper representatives of Him in this world. May God help us to do this. So, after you quench the steel, you reheat it to a lower temperature and then quench it again. Interesting, the quenching is changing the shape of the steel grains inside the metal. It changes the shape of the steel grains inside the metal. That's interesting. It leaves a comparatively soft inner core and a hard outer core, or outer shell rather, and the soft inner core lets it handle stress. It can flex slightly without shattering. And the hard outer shell lets it be used to be sharpened or formed for a tool. Anybody knows that a real cheap knife won't hold an edge. A real cheap knife will also break under pressure. A good knife will hold an edge and it has resiliency. How many of you have ever been in a very tall building? I'm not talking four stories in the middle of Lancaster. I'm talking... An actual skyscraper, right? Uh, the tallest one I've personally been in is what's now the Willis Tower, which sounds funny to me. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and as I, that brings things to my brain. But um, the, it used to be called the Sears Tower. You remember that? And I've uh, been up on that. <laughs> and, and last time we were there, they had installed a part of the floor that goes out from the building. And I think the observation floor is at 104th floor. On that's 110 story. I think it's 104th floor is where the observation is. And that part of the floor that goes out has like plexiglass. And when you walk out there, you're looking straight down over a thousand feet down there to that to the street. That is so cool. I still remember, and I remember because of Jennifer, your daughter, I thought she was literally gonna punch me in the head. We had a bunch of young people and we went out there, rode the elevator up, a lot better than taking stairs. And we rode the elevator up and we get out there and some of them are kind of scared of heights and stuff. We said, we're going out there. So everybody walks out on this last floor and I stepped out there on that thing last and I went, as hard as I could and it goes, boom. Oh, it was great, man. Some of them screamed. Some of them I thought were going to pass out. Some of them were like, that's so cool. And uh, I'm just hoping, you know, I can see I hit it exactly the right way and break it. You know, we all fall down. But we got back off and uh, they each expressed their gratitude in different ways. I think it was gratitude. Uh, we got out there. But when you're up on the building, of course, Chicago's known as the what city? Windy City. You say, why is that? Because of the politicians. Ever heard them? Uh, but anyway, it's also you get a lot of wind right off of Lake Michigan. And when you're all the way up on the observation floor and it's a very windy day, guess what you can feel that building doing? And you're all the way up there and the whole building's doing this. Eh? And that's something else. I just came to praise. Anyway, you, it just moved. 
You know what would be a whole lot worse? If it didn't do that and all it did was <laughs> down you went. Different types of tools must be tempered to different hardnesses. Catch this. They must be tempered to different hardnesses according to the type of work they will be performing. And by the way, that's up to the will of the one who forms them. What he wants them for. The more stress the steel will be under, the more exacting specification should be in the tempering process. Don't end the trial too soon. Let patience have her perfect work. If the trial seems long, just be aware that the master is using exacting specifications, making you a fit tool for a vital job where outer hardness and inner toughness are necessary. The Bible says the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 4. Please turn your Bibles there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me leave you with this Scripture in your mind. Think about this thing of not stopping the trial too soon. Think about this thing of tempering. And then let's see how it comes together here and what the Scripture itself teaches. 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 4 and verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side. It's a trial, isn't it? Yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. It's called the resurrection principle. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, have, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. You see that word redound? It means to overflow. It means a superabundance of something. In other words, this is working so there can be a rejoicing towards God that's just spontaneous and overflowing. Verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us 
a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And it is that sight by faith that allows us to not stop the trial too soon. Let me pray with you this evening. Father, thank You for Your words, the truth of them. God, help us to be a people who believe that You love us. I'm feeling it may be hurtful to you how we think about you sometimes. Lord, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about these people. How doubting we are. How unconvinced we seem about your actual love towards us. Lord, may we be yielded to you in the times of trials. God, I pray that you'll have mercy on our weaknesses. And you help us to be being perfected by what you bring into our life. May our hearts be yielded. Lord, I ask you please that some of your people see the wisdom of your word and don't try to stop things too fast, but rather yield their spirits to you to be used of you. Bless this invitation time. May some of your children talk to you and just start the conversation with you they need to about what you're doing and how they can keep following you and do honor to your name. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and why don't you come this evening for first note of invitation and say, I'm here, Lord. Whatever you bring my way, I want to follow you. I need your help. You acknowledge that to Him.